Thank you for joining Beth Parker's weekly community talk show, Connection. Today's topic is being a black professor at a predominantly white college. This interview is taking place with Professor Christopher Johnson, professor of education at Cole College. Thanks for agreeing to spend a few minutes with us, Chris. This is Christopher Johnson of Cole College, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about Christopher. So you introduce yourself. Tell these people who you are and a little of your backstory. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Christopher Johnson. I am from Florida. Uh, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I moved down to Florida in seventh grade. Uh, went to high school down there. Um, actually went to school at the University of Dubuque for two years. Then I left. And then I went to a small school outside Chicago called Benedictine University. Then I left. And then I went back home. And finally, I graduated from Florida a University with my undergrad in elementary education. I was a teacher for a while. I went back to school. I did my master's and PhD in educational psychology. I teach educational psychology at Coe College. I also teach the human relations course. I've been in Cedar Rapids for a little over four months. So that's about it. So why education? What, what appeals to you about education? Okay, so when I was in high school, one of my football coaches was my history teacher, and he taught history, and uh, he was a football coach. So I was like, I want to do that when I grow up. And You wanted to coach. <laughs> I really wanted to coach, but I was like, and in Florida, all the coaches were teachers, and some were good, some were bad. But my history teacher was a very good teacher. I was really interested in history. I really wanted to be a, a history teacher, but so what had happened was I, um, I did some clinical hours in high school, and I was maybe 20, 21, and I had a bad experience because some of the, uh, some of the students, uh, some of the women were uh, trying to talk to me, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I don't need these problems, so I was like, I'm going to do elementary school. <laughs> hey. Kids get younger, but go ahead. Yeah, so I was like, you know, I don't want any of the students trying to hit on me. So I said, I did my student teaching in kindergarten, and I loved it. I have five-year-olds. Um, they have less attitudes. They listen. <laughs> so college kids are not kindergarten kids. Look at where you are now. Yeah, they're yeah, actually college kids, are, there? college kids are a lot like kindergartners. They don't listen. And they, do, <laughs> they don't do their work all the time. <laughs> so do you teach mostly freshmen or all classes? I, or? Um, so both of my courses are pretty much intro courses to get into education. Well, at least at Psychic. So human relations, um, you don't have to be an education major to take human relations. Like you, it's, it can be taken as an elective, but 80 to 90% of my students are in education. Um, so if you are in the Department of Education, you have to take my, my, one of my classes or both of them. If you're outside, you might take human relations. But if you're in education, you have to take both the classes. And it doesn't matter if you're music education, elementary, secondary ed, art, you have to take both of my classes So in order to get into the program. So you have to get into the program, you have to have a 2.7 GPA, you have to take the standardized test to get into the program. So there's a lot that goes into it. So so what's like some of the content of your like major topics of your classes? What, what okay. do they learn? What do I learn if I go to your class? Okay, so <clears throat> I'll talk about human relations. It's very, it's very interesting. So human relations, we talk about um, socioeconomic status, we talk about religion, we talk about gender, we talk about poverty, we talk about race, <laughs> and it's a lot because I can teach a class on either one of those topics by themselves, but I have to put all this into one semester and it's in the context of education. So 
we talk about how poverty impacts students and how certain needs are being met. So if certain needs aren't being met, maybe learning division isn't their top priority. Maybe it's the fact that they don't have clean clothes or they don't have enough food to eat or they don't live in a safe environment. So, so we talk about a lot of things. Race is a big topic because as you know, we're in Iowa and at Co College, most of my students are white. So um, being a black male trying to talk to yeah, how does that go? <laughs> it's usually is there a pushback it. or so so we talk about so we talk about privilege and when we talk about privilege instead of being like oh you guys are why do you have white privilege i'll address the class and say do i have privilege and most people won't say anything or they'll say no and my one student of color say yes you do have privilege i was like yes i do have privilege i was like what privileges do i have and they'll just start saying the one class was like you have you're straight um, you're heterosexual, you are a professor, you have a PhD, um, you're tall. One of them, I didn't say this, they said you're attractive and that's a privilege. So so after I point out my privileges, it's easier to talk about theirs. But I have to preface that way. I just can't be like, you know, pointing fingers and saying, you know, you know white privilege. And, so what do they think about your privilege? Because usually when we say privilege, we're talking about in the context of white privilege. Right. So... Um, I think it, it makes them, and it actually makes me broaden my horizons and look, sure. at, thing, look at things differently because yeah. I always thought about privileges, just white privilege. But there are other privileges that people have, yeah. you know, being able-bodied or, you know. Absolutely. So, so there are a lot of privileges that I have. And, I mean, I feel like, you know, white privilege is, is, a, big, is a big thing. But in order to get to there, we have to recognize our own privileges and say, you know, this is where I am. And then I can talk to them and say, where are you at? What privileges do you have? Or... Um, not to assume, like students of color assume all white people have money, but they don't. They still have the privilege of being white. Even if I'm white and I say I denounce my white privilege, you still have the privilege to walk around the store and not get followed or not get pulled over by the police as much as I do. Or There are certain privileges you have whether you acknowledge it or if you don't. So, um, Understandable. So talk a little bit about landing here at Co. because obviously you've been in a variety of different situations. You've right. lived in a lot of different places. Is there culture shock? Is there, what do you find here? What do you need from? So the... I feel like everything like comes back around as being cyclical. So I went to the University of Dubuque for two years and I honestly believe that that prepared me for coming back to Iowa. Ah, okay. So I was in Florida. I was actually back home in Florida. I graduated from the University of Georgia and I was back home in Florida and I saw the job posting for Co. College. And I know Coe College. When I was here, I actually dated a girl that went to Coe when I was at University of Dubuque. I played them in football and track, so I was very familiar. I was like, you know, Cedar Rapids is a much bigger city than Dubuque. And it's, you know, so I wasn't just like, Coe College, all right, all right. They, they have a job, I'm going to apply. So I knew, and the biggest, my biggest reason for coming to Coe had nothing to do with Coe is the fact that I would be three and a half hours away from my grandmother. <laughs> so, like, so talk about this grandmother a little bit. We're going to diverge. Okay. What I've heard you mention her several times. So, Why is she a special person to you? So, okay, so I, I grew up I grew up in Detroit, and um, I didn't have the best circumstances. Like, every summer I would stay with my grandmother. My grandmother really pushed me. Um, so you'd would, go from Detroit to Chicago? Yeah, so every to... every summer they drive four and a half hours. When I got a little older, let me. Um, my older brother and I, we would fly to Chicago, and my grandmother was very influential in, like, my educational experience. Like, she wanted me to go to the zoo, she took me to the museum, she took me to the aquarium, and so I was having issues with reading. It wasn't that I wasn't smart enough, it was that I was going through a lot, like, 
my parents just got divorced. A year later, my father passed away. And I was just going through a lot, but she she knew I loved sports. So she was she would give me baseball cards and I remember all the stats and she would give me, like she had this early reading intervention program, even though she wouldn't call it that. She would just give me kids sports illustrated and I would, well, I love it. And then she would give me sports illustrated, which if you know anything, the, the words are hard. So I was like, oh, what is this word? What is this word? And reading is reading. I wouldn't read any of my textbooks, or anything, but I was That's reading. Right. She would give me the sports section. But what I learned is, and as a teacher, like if you give a child something that they enjoy reading, that once they learn the vocabulary, they don't mind reading other things. So, what did this grandma of yours do as a profession? Was she a professional woman, or she was she worked maybe once or twice in her life? She uh-huh. never really worked, but education was always. I mean, she's ninety, so growing up. She didn't go to college. Like, as soon as she graduated from high school, she got married. She grew up in Chicago? Yes. She grew up, uh, she was born on 34th and Prairie. Uh, (laughs) So she grew up there. But her family always cared about education. So her mother actually did go to college. And um, so when she, they're Catholic. So she went to Catholic school because she said the public school in her neighborhood wasn't good enough. But my grandmother was so smart that the nun sent her to boarding school in Virginia. So she's very smart. She never went to college, but they sent her to boarding school and she had to cook and clean in order to pay for her way through boarding school. Yeah. You know, being one of the only black uh, students and you know, she's cooking wow. and cleaning, but she did what she had to do in order to receive the education that she received. So education was always big on her, for her and she sent my- She taught you to love education. Right, she sent my father, <laughs> all my aunts, they all went to college and my grandfather, um, they paid for them to go to from K through 12, they went to private school. And when it was time for them to go to college, they paid. Like, my grandmother said, you know, your grandfather always wanted that Cadillac, but education was more important. that said, we can't get that Cadillac because we got to pay for them to go to school. Wow. So I'd like to interview your grandmother. <laughs> she sounds like a really amazing person. She is. You know, the, the kind of people that keep our culture together. So she really valued education. She could have been like, I'm going to get that new car, send them to public school. She's like, no, I want them to go get their, receive the best education they could possibly receive, send them to private school, send them off to college. No debt, no student loan. Oh, what's her name? First name. <laughs> My grandmother's name is Betty. Betty. Betty Grandma Jane Betty. Johnson. That's her name. So very good. Well, that's yeah. that's great, and that explains a lot, maybe, about why you are in education today. Um, let's focus back on challenges that you've had here at Co. Or challenges in the community, or things that come to mind. Okay, so that you're comfortable talking. About. <laughs> so okay, let me. You can't see me, so I'm about six to two hundred fifty pounds. I work out a lot. So when I first got here, uh, co-opened a new workout facility, so yeah. I would go there, and I hadn't gone to new student, not new student, new employee orientation, so I don't have my ID, so every time I went there, people would ask me, like, um, do you have an ID? I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, do you work here? I was like, yes. They're like, are you a football coach? I'm like, no. They're like, do you work at the physical plant? I'm like, no. I'm like, yeah, keep going, you know? Yeah. So no one ever is like, are you a professor, yeah. you know? So. I always had to deal with, I dealt with that. Um, so it sounds like people mischaracterize you a lot. They think right. you're a student or they think you're... Or they think I work as, because I, I kind of have this athletic build yeah. and, you know, maybe I'm a football coach. Maybe. Yeah. But they've never looked at me as, you know, maybe he's smart, <laughs> maybe he's intelligent. So does know? that bother you? I mean, is that kind of a uh, rub or what, what's the deal? It does I mean, you can get them straight. All you have to do is I, say... I don't want to get me... them straight. I, I After okay. a while, I just let them keep guessing. <laughs> they usually give me some subservient role, and, you know, so they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, you know, I'm a professor in the education department, mm-hmm. and, you know, so 
I think even after that, they don't look at me that way. People see you yeah. how they want to see you and perceive you, you know, how yeah. they want to perceive you. So, um, so I, I dealt with that when I first got here. I had um, the first meeting for all the professors. I remember I had this University of Georgia tag on my car, and this lady was like, I saw you got out of that car with the University of Georgia on it, and I was just hoping you had one more year of eligibility left. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I was like, no, I, I don't. That's not um, what I do. I'm about, I'm 36 years old. I don't have any eligibility. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, there's a couple of issues I've dealt with with um, some things that were said when they were racially insensitive or culturally insensitive. And uh, I'll give you an example. I was um, I was at a conference and uh, we were in Coralville. We were meeting at um, it was at Kirkwood and it was this big meeting room, and it was for uh, professors and teacher education. There was people from Iowa, Northern Iowa, small schools. We were all there. Any school that had a teacher education program, we were there. So I was the only black person <laughs> that was there the second day. And I'm sitting there in the big room. I have my, I'm dressed up. I got my name tag on. So they send us to the back room. And that's where all the snacks and coffee and everything were. So this white man came up to me. He's like, hey, come here. I was like, yes. <laughs> He's like, look at this. I was like, what's wrong? He's like, we're out of creamer. I was like, I don't work here. <laughs> and so, I was in the same conference and I had the same name tag sticker with my name yeah. one that he had and he still assumed that I I worked there so yeah. I don't know I've got some other stories but that's one of the examples that I've had to deal with so but I, is that unique to Cedar Rapids I mean they, well, people are discriminatory in Florida and they're discriminatory in no I don't I, sure I wouldn't you... say it's it's not um so it's, it never happened to me in Florida. Okay. So, or I was in Georgia. It never happened to me there either. So I, I don't. I don't think it's isolated. I don't think it's. I don't want to like say this just happens in Cedar Rapids or this just happens in Iowa. So, but those are the experiences that I've had since I've been here. So. What about some of your students? Do you work a lot with minority students, like like off off campus or in any of the capacity as so, an advisor or? So next year I get to advise students. This year, my first year, I, I don't. Um, get to be on any committees and I don't get to it because it's my first year but next sure. year I have to be on a committee I have to advise I'll have a load of students who I advise so there's a black student group on campus I advise them <laughs> so yeah. I took over the role I went to the first meeting they asked me and I was like okay so I work with the I work with them in that aspect and um there was I, I teach three courses so there was one student of color in all my courses but I don't know if that's co-necessarily because um, education, 65-70% of teachers are white women. So um, I have one student of color in all my classes, so I don't get to work with them in that capacity as much. But when I work with the black student group on campus, I work with them, we do events, we do panels, and I work with them. And a lot of them come to my office, they come talk to me, and hopefully I can share some insight, being that I, at one point, did go to a small liberal arts school in Iowa. Yeah. And so I do understand that even though I didn't have any black professors to come and talk to. so. Hopefully, I can be a liaison to them and help them out and over to navigate these spaces. So, Absolutely. So, so yeah. Are I there did, particular problems that they, or is it just kind of general feeling unconnected, or are there specific issues like there's not enough events for black students, or? I think I think we have a decent amount of events, and which I don't have that they have. They have a critical mass of black students that are here. I there's one other black professor here. And she is a visiting professor, so she might not even be here next year. So it's just me. Wow. So I don't have like people I can go and talk to. But the students, there's a there's a decent critical mass of students 
sorry, the Black Student Body Campus. So they have their own little groups. They have people they can talk to, upper level, lower level, different majors, different programs. Uh-huh. So I don't think that that's an issue as much as maybe they come from a place like Chicago or St. Louis where they went to a higher school that 70, 80% of the students look like them. And now it's the other way around. So they don't have the social, cultural capital in order to navigate this predominant white institution. So, you know, and it's hard to talk about that because unless it happens to you, it, you, you don't recognize it. So, you know, um, the primary culture or, or, or the white culture, they don't usually think about being in a, a position where they're a minority. Right. I remember a couple of years ago, I actually went, I was in Beijing, China, and I was a minority among Asian people. And it was frightening to me. It was really <laughs> surprising. I'm used to being a minority among white people, right. but I understand what you're saying because until you step over that bridge and actually become um, a minority in that context, you don't understand it. Right. So I think that a lot of times they might not have the, like I said, the social cultural capital to navigate these spaces. I think that's the issue. We don't have, we don't have an issue bringing students here. We have an issue with re- re- retaining so retaining the students is the issue, but they're, they're, it's not that they're not good enough, it's not that they're not smart enough, it's just that they have to learn the culture here, and they have to, like a lot of students come to me, like, you know, in Chicago, you know, we do it like this. I'm like, well, that's not going to work here. This isn't Chicago. This is Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and this is Co College, and they do things differently. And if you want to be successful, you have to learn the culture here. So, so I got a question for you, and this may, maybe you haven't thought about it, but what does it take to make them comfortable? What, what do we do to retain them? What do we do to help them understand how to fluctuate? to function either in the culture or develop mechanisms outside the immediate culture that allow them to, do they need connection to the community? Do they need more clubs? Okay, so that's <clears throat> so that's an interesting question. So there are a lot of variables and a lot of factors because you know black people, we're not just this one monolithic people. So every black student doesn't need the same thing. Like mm-hmm. some black students might need uh, a mentor, some black students might need to be more connected to the community. I mean, it depends. Like I think the issue is um, can we ask each student what they need and can we give every student what they need instead of being like, we have this and that's all we got, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think there, if we really cared about the students, it's like, okay, this student needs this, he needs this, he needs this in order to support them and we need to get make sure that they have that, you know, so because all the students don't need the same thing. So, but if they don't, you know, is it, do we have the time, do we have the money in order to put for, if we say we, we care about, you know, being more culturally diverse and we have, we want these students to stay here, do we have the mechanisms mechanisms in order to support them to be successful on this campus? So I feel like there are lots of different things that students need in order to be successful, and it's based off the individual, not necessarily if they're you know all black students need this one thing. So, so I know that you have some collaborations, like uh, if you're comfortable discussing this or not, with, uh, for example, Cersei, mm-hmm. and doing some things. Is that part of your expansion program or? Are, so I met I met Cersei through um, one of my colleagues, Christy Walton, and she was a good friend. You should know. I met her. She's doing some great work. She's doing some research that I'm interested in, and we're interested in, in this program. That I can't really talk about okay. <laughs> because it's not until it comes to fruition, until it, it, sure. we have everything mapped out. So we're in talks with the president. You know, 
we're really trying to get more students of color here and we're trying to get more students of color to become teachers. Yeah. So we're trying to, we have, it's still in the work. That's pretty are. exciting. I'll so. let you off the hook there. But, <laughs> um, so I drive school bus for Cedar Rapids Community Schools and I know that we have some tremendous problems with kids with behavioral problems, um, not only in transportation and on the buses, but they're having some monumental problems with students who uh, don't understand rules and don't understand laws and feel very victimized. Um, what do we tell those kids? How do we keep them engaged? How do we let them know that they can end up as a professor in a college or that they can end up as an engineer at Rockwell? Because they are brilliant children right. and students. What are the mechanisms that we need to set up and how, do, how can we reach out to them? That's a very good question. Uh, I feel like... You're doing your part, for sure. I feel like I would need to be or the engineer would need to be a little more, like, more visible. Like, I need to be, mm -hmm. I would need to, like, they wouldn't have to come see me. I need to go out to the schools or whatever. I need to meet them where they are. Watch out now. You're <laughs> going to get yourself some invitations here. Okay, go ahead. So I feel like, I feel like that's necessary. I feel like, you know, if I want, you know, if all you see is, you know, negative stereotypes, then you believe that's all you can be. But if I show you, look, I am a professor. I do have a PhD. I didn't come from money. I didn't come from a great family or a great environment. And it's possible, you know, maybe I can give them somebody to look at. It's like, look, there's somebody that looks like me. It's not like, it's not another white person telling me to go be great. It's a goes. huge difference. Yeah, it does. I, I, I honestly believe that. Like when I was at Georgia, a lot of my black professors and just having someone that looks like you just makes that much of, more of an impact. Yeah. Even if they're not that much... <laughs> Even if they're not a better teacher, it's just having someone that looks like you in a position of power is uh, absolutely does great things. So, absolutely. I, well, I I want to mention that KHAS, um, Greg and Michelle, um, it's a family radio station that's online, and they are looking to expand their programming. And so, if there's some way that um, your students or or people of color or or, or uh, you as a staff person could get more involved, there are opportunities with KHAS, and so okay. that's something that I'd like to maybe talk with you about a little more in the future. Um, I know you got exams to do, so I'm just <laughs> going to wind it up here. i got a couple more questions. Okay. Okay, we're looking in the future now, and we're talking about your kids. Do you tell them to come to Co? or do you tell them, would you recommend they come to Co? Would you, what, what good things are there here at Co? Do you, when you say my kids, your children, you? <laughs> yeah, I mean the children that you have, or or oh. or you know somebody who asks you for recommendation, or okay. you know somebody comes from the community and says, well, tell me about Co. Should I go there? Okay, so I've been here a little over four months, and I can honestly say that I, I love Co. I love what Co is doing. Co doesn't just say we we care about diversity. They, they are bringing in students. They are trying to bring in more faculty, which is a lot harder to do, you know, to get somebody to say, hey, I want you to come to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. There, are, there aren't many people that look like you, uproot yourself and your family. It's it's a lot. So, but I feel like the first piece we have down is that we're, we are, 30% of our students are students of color, which is a major change from three or four or five years ago. And we are doing that and, and hopefully we're doing things that are keeping them here and they are retaining and they are graduating. Um, so. But Cole's a very good school. Um, I like how small the classrooms are. I know all my students. I, we have an open door policy. Whenever they need to meet with me, they can come sit down and talk to me. Um, I've only been here four months, but so far, so good. I love 
the, the it's rigorous. It's a very good school. It's not easy, but you receive a really good education. There are people in place who really care about you and they want to see you succeed. So I personally would recommend anybody's children and one day when I have children, <laughs> I would make sure that they looked at Co. and hopefully and they then opportunity. Yeah. So tell me uh, two more questions, a good book or a good movie that you recommend, anything that you enjoy. Are you, what do you do in your spare time? You I work out? I don't, I don't have spare time, but uh, uh, <laughs> I do work out. I work out and run, and it's not really a spare time. It's more of a stress relief. It's more of a uh-huh. let me take care of myself, you know, yeah. more or less like I need to, you know, I, I, I'm doing a lot because of my first semester coming up with lessons, coming up with final exams and grading and papers. It's a lot, but I feel like I have to take care of myself first because if I'm not it, if I'm not well, I can't come to work. I can't do anything. I can't function. So uh, I do like working out. I love playing basketball. I love running. Um, I try to eat healthy. I try. But I could do better uh, in that part. Um, but So where do you consider home? Is Chicago, Florida, Cedar Rapids? You know what? Are you just really... a man of all seasons? <laughs> Are you, uh... you know, I have, like, most of my family on my mom's side lives in Detroit. Most of my family on my father's side lives in Chicago. I've never lived in Chicago. I've spent summers there. I've spent breaks there. I've never actually lived in Chicago but I would consider that more home than back home in Florida or in Detroit I spend more time there with relatives I spend more time there with my grandmother and and my aunt who I kind of live with when I go home quote-unquote I stay with my aunt in Chicago and that's where I was most of the summer and that's where I'll be for Christmas and so I guess Chicago Mm-hmm. They're doing some innovative things in Detroit. Do you ever get back that way? I was in. I haven't been to Detroit in a year. Last year, I went there for Thanksgiving to visit family. So, uh-huh. they're, you know, gentrifying. Yeah. <laughs> they're buying up stuff and. Well, um, I remember looking at some stuff, TED Talks or whatever. And it seems like they're doing a lot of urban gardens there. Yeah. And there was also this program where they were creating their own internet. I'm gonna have to find out more about it, but, you know. Um, Interesting things going on in a lot of places. They're doing some things, but it's hard because, you know, it was based, the whole Detroit thing, is it was the Motor City, it was Motown, Yeah. all those jobs left. And And there's a void there. Right, and when all those jobs left, there weren't, like, an influx of new jobs for people. Yeah. I remember being in Detroit when it was great, when it was thriving, when there was a lot of, there was a large black middle class, and and when that fell apart, it kind of broke my heart. It was like, Mm -hmm. because it's so... Like, you can buy houses there. There's a whole bunch of abandoned houses, boarded up houses. And, you know, I know a lot of white people are coming in and buying up stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. and gentrifying it. And the school system has, uh, I know the state wants to buy it over, turn to a charter system. And, are you a, a charter fan or not so much? Uh, not so much. <laughs> I mean, every school system has their issues. I mean, there's no perfect. I mean, I feel like charter has worked in certain places and then it hasn't worked. So, um, so I won't knock it, but I, I'm not a number one fan. So. Well, um, I'm not going to say I'm not going to come back and tap you for some more questions. We'll see how some of your projects are going. But do you have any parting thoughts, any any words you wanted to? Yeah, so you asked me about a book. So when I was in graduate school, the book that helped me uh, the most, I think, was this uh, book, uh, Know Thyself by Naeem Akbar. And the reason the book helped me so much is I always felt like I had this identity crisis when I was growing up and like in high school it was like I grew up in Detroit so I remember leaving in seventh grade so in sixth grade I was in gifted classes 
But the context was different because I'm in Detroit. Everybody there looks like me. I moved to Florida in the suburb, a suburb of Orlando, and I'm the only black one, of the only black students in my class. So it's mm. this whole, why, why yeah. you acting white? And I was like, I don't get the whole acting white. Like I'm from Detroit, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it was the way I dressed, I the way I spoke, mm. and and I did everything I could to get out of gifted, and I still wasn't accepted by wow. <laughs> black students because I still spoke proper, and you know, it was so I always had identity wow. issues, and I think one of the like when I finally got to Florida, and it was a story back. That's when a lot of my issues went away because I started reading stuff like I ain't knocked by, and it was so the whole know thyself was just this whole. I'll give you an example. Like I remember being on the bus reading a book, and like someone was telling me how I wasn't black because I was reading a book, but oh wow, I, was like, <laughs> I know, I understand, one hundred percent, believe me. So it was like I was like, look, you know, if you know yourself, you know your history, you know that black people died so that they could, you know, so that they could read. You know, like reading is a big thing, and like how much we cared about education, how much we, you know, were willing to die just you know in order to learn how to read, and like. So once I knew who I was as a person, no one could tell me I wasn't black enough, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't hood enough. So reading that book just helped me with my identity because I was always like, I never thought I was black enough, I never thought I fit in, and you know, I always had this identity crisis. And now when someone tells me that, if you know yourself, no one can tell you anything. Even like when I was in grad school, I would turn in papers and they would say, why do you, why do you want to do this work? Why are you looking at black male racial identity? And if I didn't know myself, I was like, man, maybe I should look at something else, but yeah. I, I took all that. I didn't listen to anything that was negative. That was negatively said about my research and my work. I knew it was important, and it was only because I knew myself. When you know yourself, no right. matter what people say about you, the negative stuff doesn't bother you. But when you're leaning on what everyone else is saying, you're like, man, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm. So maybe you said this, but I'm gonna ask you again. How did you maintain that focus? You rather than just caving and saying, yeah, you're right, man. I can't do this. I'm gonna go blow on it. We're gonna have a drink or something. I mean, how did you? <laughs> what kept you focused on your? You know, your goal is about education and your So knowing myself was a big thing, but I feel like I feel like no one makes it alone. Like everybody needs somebody. I think my biggest motivator was my grandmother. Grandma my grandma, Betty. grandma, I remember my last year of grad school and I, I didn't want to finish. I wasn't gonna make it. Mm. She was just, you know, you come this far, you're, yep. st- you're standing on these broad shoulders uh-huh. and she would tell my uncle so and so did this, you know, he it's like, you know what, I can't let them down. You know, yeah, I just got that's to. That's right. And she was like, so my grandmother married Alvin Oliver Johnson, who was my grandfather. And she's like, you know, when I met your grandfather, he had such low self-esteem. He had nothing going on for himself. He just got out the Army. He was in Detroit. He was working as uh, on a garbage truck. And when Grandma Betty got through with him, he was the um, director of public works for Detroit. He worked right under Coleman Young, who was the first black mayor. I had pictures mm-hmm. of them together. I had pictures of my grandfather with Andrew Young. But she said he would have been okay being a garbage, being on a garbage truck the rest of his life if she didn't push him. And she has, I don't know what it is, but she pushed me. <laughs> like, she pushed him, and she pushed my father. Going to this grandma, Betty, we're going to come to she, Chicago and talk to her. <laughs> she, like, my, my grandfather, was he was the director of sanitation and the director of public works. Like, he, had, he was over two different departments. And she said he would have been fine just working on this garbage truck and retiring after that, but she pushed him. Till he met the right woman. Right, she said, I, I saw something he didn't see in himself. Like my yeah. grandma saw, like getting a PhD was never my dream. Like finishing college and being a teacher was, that's all I wanted to do. I think the only reason why I went 
Well, how you like you now? <laughs> I feel like the reason I went and got my master's was just so I could get a pay bump from teaching because you don't make much as a teacher. But then, like, I was taking this class with other PhD students, and I told my grandma, I was like, I'm just as smart as them. She's like, well, you should stay in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to tell you that. And do your doctor. And I was like, I don't know. She was like, So nah. what were some of your favorite classes in graduate school? Same education, uh, psychology stuff? Um, my favorite, like, I took a black and white identity class that really pushed me to focus on racial identity. Um, so I... So, so focusing on racial identity had a lot to do with my identity crisis. So, you know, research is me search. So, like, I'm interviewing black males about black male racial identity and how they navigate predominantly white institutions. But I'm looking at them as I'm, you know, looking at myself. So, um, I think the there was a black and white identity class I took, and then it was a um, interracial communications class I took, mm-hmm. and. In that class, I found the theory that I used for my for my dissertation. So the theory, which uh, was uh, dissertation. Co- oh, my dissertation was uh, negotiating black male identity while navigating predominantly white institutions. So I looked at this theory. This theory is called co-cultural theory, and co-cultural theory says there's a dominant culture, which I assumed was all white people. And according to the theory, the theory it says that in order to be in order to be a part of the dominant culture, you have to be white, male, heterosexual, middle to upper class, um, able-bodied, Christian, and if you aren't any one of these things, you fall into the cold culture. Like if you're a woman, if you're not straight, if you're if you're poor and you're white, and so there's issues with that because you can be poor and white and still be a part of the dominant culture and still have white privilege. But according to the theory, that's what it was. So if you're a cold culture, you have to, like I tell a lot of my students at Co, like. You have to learn their culture. You have to learn the dominant culture. They mm-hmm. don't have to learn your culture or care about it, <laughs> but you have to learn it in order to navigate their spaces. Mm-hmm. So the whole study was looking at how, according to the theory, there's um, 26 strategies in order to navigate these spaces. So like one of them would be dispelling stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always, I feel like I'm always dispelling stereotypes because the stereotype would be, I'm a football coach. I work mm-hmm. the physical plan. The fact that I'm a professor is <laughs> like, you know, you're you're intelligent, you're smart. And I was like, yes, yes, I am. So, like, dispelling stereotypes and um, another um, being overprepared. Like, I just can't know what I'm doing. I have to know the chapter before, the chapter after, because they're going to ask me. And if I don't know something, I feel like I'll be looked at as unintelligent. Like, if I was white, I feel mm-hmm. like me not knowing the next chapter, they, they wouldn't care. But mm-hmm. I have to go above and beyond to prove, like, I have to prove that I'm smart. I have to prove that I'm intelligent. I, I feel like if they have a white professor, they assume that they're smart. They assume that they're good enough. They got a job. But for me, I might be a diversity hire mm-hmm. or I'm not looked at as intelligent. So I have to prove to them how smart I am. Then after I'm like, oh, okay, he's smart. Instead of being like, they probably wouldn't have hired him <laughs> if he wasn't smart enough or good enough to, to yeah. do the job. But I have Interesting. to overcompensate for that so okay so last question here that's what I said a few minutes ago know thyself um, a lot of times when I'm listening and I hear somebody recommend a book like on the radio I don't get the title or the author could you tell me that spell the author okay. know thyself um, Naeem is N-A apostrophe I-M Akbar A-K-B-A-R Okay, I'll check it out. Well, thank you very much for your time, and we may revisit. We may revisit you on some topics. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you. And you've been listening to the KHAS Weekly Community Talk Show Connection. Our host is Beth Parker. With today's guest, Christopher Johnson. Be sure to join KHAS next week this time for another informative 
Talk Show. Connection.